Hello, and welcome to the journalism.co.uk podcast, a show where we bring you insights from media industry experts to help journalists do their jobs better. I'm your guest host, Frankie Crook. Today we are learning about the role of victim stories in bringing investigative journalism projects to life. The International Consortium of Investigative Journalists, or ICIJ for short, is a network of more than 290 reporters from across the world. Its investigations, such as the Panama Papers, Offshore Leaks and FinCEN Files, are some of the most well-known exposés on the secrets of the rich and powerful. Beyond the data and leaked documents, human accounts are critical to get to the truth and make investigations hit home. This is especially the case for the ICIJ's new Trafficking Inc. project, a series of investigations into labour and sex trafficking around the globe. Lead reporter Katie McHugh talks to us about working with sensitive sources and the verification tools that made this possible. Social media, for instance, is a vital tool for identifying and reaching out to potential victims of human trafficking. Stay tuned for more details on its boots-on-the-ground reporting approach, the heavy toll of covering these stories and bringing the human angle out to the investigation. That's all coming up, so don't go anywhere. Hello, Katie McHugh. Welcome to the journalism.co.uk podcast. Thank you very much. Hi. So I understand that um, before you were an investigative journalist, you spent a couple of years as a research scientist and a bioanalyst. What can you tell me about that? Yeah, so um, my undergrad degree was in pharmacology at uh, Liverpool University. And I always wanted a career where um, I was either like kind of uncovering something or investigating issues. So I... Yeah, when I graduated, I um, became a scientist for a few years. Um, and I was kind of like on the edge of whether or not I'd like to go into kind of epidemiology and kind of investigating viruses or in- investigative journalism. So I um, ended up after a few years working in labs, um, doing uh, a postgraduate degree at Cardiff University in international journalism. And you've worked in London, Dubai and New York in the industry. How do those three cities differ? Um, that's a really good question. So New York is very fast paced and I'm really enjoying being here. I uh, moved at the beginning of last year, at the beginning of um, 2022. Um, yeah, and just everybody, just I love the, the journalism sector here. Everybody's very um, collaborative and enthusiastic and um, it's been great fun. It's re- it's really been great. Um, and Dubai was very, very interesting. So I was in Dubai for five years and I worked as a staff journalist covering the energy sector there um, and in the, the surrounding countries in the Gulf. So I was traveling a lot to Oman, Kuwait, Qatar. And that was just hugely interesting because it's such a huge um, beat and you know economic driver of that part of the world. And I got to you know um get to know so much about the the politics and the cultures there and and meet very interesting people um so that was just a huge learning experience um and whilst I was there I was also freelancing and covering human rights just on a like a freelance basis for typically the Guardian and the Washington Post um again very a very interesting place to be to to um, write about uh, human rights and, and labour abuses because there's a huge um, population of lower paid migrant workers there. Um, so there was endless amounts of stories and things to cover there as well. And London was a little while ago. And um, again, I was covering energy there, banking and um, and the pharmaceutical sector for a little while as well. Um, 
yeah, and London's great. That's where I started my my career as a journalist. Perfect. And you've recently published an investigation for the International Consortium of Investigative Journalists for the Trafficking Inc. project. What can you tell me about the Philippine Lenders investigation that you worked on? So that investigation, um, a few years ago when I was still in Dubai, I received um, a batch of documents and I couldn't figure out who was sending them to me. But there are these big legal reports about companies in the Philippines that are um, responsible for placing migrant workers in jobs abroad, um, how they were charging these migrant workers um, illegal recruitment fees that they shouldn't have been charging them, and then working with shady lending companies to coerce these migrant workers into um, taking out loans to pay these these recruitment fees. And these loans um, had like very high um, interest rates of sometimes 500%. So this was a story I... Um, when I figured out who was sending me these documents, um, I kind of started a process of also tracking down victims. Um, and I spoke to 15 victims of these schemes. Um, so it took a little while. I was kind of working on it in the background for a few years and published it a few months ago in June. Um, so that was the most recent investigation um, for Trafficking Inc., which is our um, the ICIJ's uh, new project, which is uh, focusing on human trafficking issues around the globe. How did you find um, the victims of these organisations and how did you sort of get them to trust you and trust the process? Yeah, so I, to find those victims wasn't actually that difficult because people were talking about their experiences online. So I could even kind of do text, I knew which companies I was focusing on um, and I could kind of do text searches around social media and see who who was talking about those companies. And so when I got in touch with these uh, they were mainly women. They were mainly domestic workers that were looking for jobs or had been deployed um, to, uh, for jobs in Taiwan and Hong Kong. Um, and so trust was an issue because one of the things that these lending companies were doing were harassing them and their families over social media. And I was actually getting in touch with them over social media as well. So I always explain exactly who I am and what why I'm contacting them. The first thing is, you know, when I first engage with anybody. And I'll only expect a percentage of people to actually have conversations with me. So I always have to message way more people than I end up interviewing. Um, so it's just a process. Um, and I've done some reporting on issues related to domestic workers in Hong Kong before. And I've done a lot of stories about um, the difficulties that domestic workers face in the Middle East as well. So I was very kind of aware of the issues that they were facing and kind of the language they used, the lingo. And so it was fairly easy to strike up a rapport with them. But it definitely was a process because um, they were very wary because a lot of them had been harassed by these lending companies and these recruitment companies. And how do you go about verifying the information that they give you and how important is that? Yeah, so verifying in that instance, um, it was fed, a lot of them had documents so, um, and also, I just mentioned harassment. A lot of them could show me the messages that they were receiving over DMs, the threats. Threats sometimes looked like um, these lending companies would fake legal documents to make it look like that they were in trouble or they'd been summoned to court. So I was able to collect a lot of documentation in that case. Um, and also I had this big cache of documents from this leak that was almost 3,000 pages long. So that corroborated everything that they were saying as well, because we were talking, you know, looking at the same companies as were, that were in those documents. So 
there was a lot of paperwork to go through in that instance. Um, I'd say other investigations, there's less. Um, and there are ways around that too. And why did you decide to sort of find victims and tell their stories as well as the documentation that you had? Um, I think in all journalism, you need to put a face to the issues. You absolutely to, you know, show how people are being affected by what you're writing about. And the best sources of information are the other people that have been affected. Um, they can tell you so much more than a document can. The ICIJ usually relies upon a document or database leak to kickstart an investigation. However, for the Trafficking Inc. project, Katie and her team opted for a boots-on-the-ground approach by speaking to over 300 victims of trafficked and forced labour. Their findings show how different vulnerable groups have been extorted by companies and business practices for cross-border labour and sex trafficking. The aim is that by finding the individual voices who have experienced these horrific and devastating organised crimes, they can better paint the bigger picture for their readers. I've had a lot of discussions where they they do stick with you and a lot of them will probably be the ones where the survivors of human trafficking have been through some very, very, very difficult situations, um, unimaginable situations. Like uh, I did a story a few years ago and I'm still speaking with the, the victims, the survivors, sorry, now, um, where they were trafficked to, they were Filipino domestic workers in the UAE and they were forced to travel to Syria to work as domestic workers and they were sold to uh, VIP families in Syria where they were subjected, some of them were subjected to horrific abuses. One woman who I speak to regularly, she, um, her employer used to shave her head because they didn't, they couldn't tolerate any strands of hair, her hair falling on the floor while she works which is just hugely cruel and others have been subjected to physical other physical and sexual abuses and and just cruelty that you just can't don't understand why somebody would would do that to another person and and um these conversations there's unfortunately been far too many of them but they do stay with you and I, a lot of those people I do keep in touch with and check in with and and and, and still chat to now and you, you seem to enjoy it a lot, but they're quite heavy topics. Does it ever sort of take a toll on you as a person when you have to sort of deal with all these quite horrific stories? I would say I kind of take the approach that it's already out there in the world. And, you know, if I can find it, I can report on it, then that's a good thing. Um, and a lot of these conversations I'm having with these, uh, I mean, for this trafficking project, there's I'm working with some other reporters between us, we've interviewed, located and interviewed about 300 human trafficking victims. And I've interviewed probably half of that. So about 150 in the last year and a half. And everybody's different. And a lot of the conversations that you'll have with people, like there's so much more than what's just happened to them. You know, we'll talk about other things in their lives. And, you know, I think that helps as well because um, they're not, you know, they're, they're, there's so much more than what's just happened to them. And it's just... Um, I think it, you know, makes it easier to kind of put that into context um, when you're getting to know them as people. And do you stay in contact much with them after the publication? What sort of aftercare is in place? It depends. Um, I keep myself available to everybody that wants to contact me. Um, They usually have different ways to contact me, WhatsApp, like my social media, email. And some people 
I'll be in touch with and I'll speak to you and I'm always happy to hear from them um, afterwards. Um, often I'll get feedback when I, you know, publish a story and often it's that they're happy to see that their voices have been heard or, you know, they feel feel kind of happy that somebody's taking notice of, of what they're going through um, and they feel like they've had a voice. So that's always nice to hear. Um, some, yeah, some I lose contact with because there's just such a, a large volume of people and, you know, there are people on the move um, and their circumstances are changing all the time, like especially if you've got, uh, human trafficking victims that have returned home sometimes they're they come from rural communities they don't always have access to the internet so it's just it depends everybody's different and could you give us a sense of what they're risking by talking to you and what risks are involved for you as well as the journalist right so the risks for me i and they're not very risky right now i'm now based in 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 um in brooklyn so it's not a risky pursuit um but in the in the in when I was working in Dubai, I would take more precautions in terms of I wouldn't really um, be doing say like a podcast like this and, and talking more about my work. I would just do the reporting. I wouldn't really tweet about um, issues or you know share my opinions on on these types of issues because I was just kind of focused on the reporting and making sure that nobody thought I had an agenda or you know because um in the Middle East and, and in the Persian Gulf that there aren't the same press freedoms as there are in the the US and in the UK. So I was a lot more careful there. Um, in terms of risks for the people I'm speaking with, um, again, a lot of them, a lot of these human trafficking victims, survivors that I'm speaking with, at least half of most of the stories are still in the situations of um, where they're being trafficked. Um, the rest have returned home and so if I'm talking to somebody I'm uh, interviewing somebody that's still either a domestic worker trapped in their the, you know their employer's accommodation or they are still in their destination countries um, for some reason I will not uh, publish their name or anything that identifies them so you know I won't describe them to a detail where somebody could identify them and we're always very careful about that because um yeah the risks for them could be could be pretty huge if they're still you know working or trapped in the Persian Gulf especially in some ways um so that's something that we have to be very 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 careful on when covering such heavy topics you need to pay much closer attention to source protection and welfare reporters must avoid publicly identifying their sources and putting them at risk from their employers the Filipino workers in Katie's report have been harassed by loan companies threatening legal action against them if they do not pay back debts with extortionate interest rates. Some have also had their travel documentation confiscated in order to prevent them looking elsewhere for a better deal. This can make verification of their situation particularly tricky. The ICIJ's team finds the victims of these crimes on social media and we use it to communicate with them throughout the investigation and right through to the aftermath of publishing the story in some cases. Speaking to survivors and hearing their harrowing stories, many of which are hard to forget, can be a challenging experience to say the least. Without reporting on these abuses of power, however, how else can a news organisation increase awareness of these issues and hopefully one day enact change? So Trafficking Inc. is um, a collaboration now with, so we've had uh, Washington Post, uh, which I I wrote uh, a story um, for um, under this project, uh, the newyorker.com, 
Reuters, NBC News, um, and several other publications um, are involved in this. So it's not just me reporting. There are other reporters as well. ICIJ has a fantastic data journalist team, editors, amazing fact checkers. Um, I'm also working with other reporters. And then, um, yeah, and we're working very closely with NBC News as well. So their broadcast team and their, you know, producing TV reports based on some of our investigations as well and doing their own investigation work. So it's very much a collaboration and we're all kind of working our different avenues, different sources, different strengths and um, coming together very regularly in meetings or just, you know, exchanging our findings on Signal and things like that. So collaboration and um, communication is really key, but it's a, a big team effort. And what happens after publication? What sort of impact do these stories have? Good question. Sometimes it's not always clear. And sometimes you hear things on the grapevine later on as to what kind of impacts your stories have had. So, for instance, the Washington Post, ICIJ and NBC and the Arab Reporters for Investigative Journalism. Last year, we published a large investigation on um, human trafficking of Asian uh, migrant workers um, on U.S. military bases in the Persian Gulf, so mainly Kuwait and Qatar, uh, UAE. After that, we found out that there had been some impacts, um, which were really great. So a few things were um, the NBC's video segment has been incorporated into training for government contracting officers in the US. And then also we heard that the stories had helped pass a Senate bill designed to end trafficking in government contracts. Um, And there was also an investigation launched into um, labor contracting in the Middle East, the US's Middle Eastern bases. So yeah, that there was a lot of impact there. And then some things don't, you don't really hear if they have impact. And I think it's important to note that we're not activists, we are reporters, and it's just like any other beep. So you're robustly reporting the information that you have gathered, and you're not necessarily looking um, to see what impact that has that's other people's jobs but it's always great to hear when when things have had impact and what's next for you in the icij so we have so well we've got several investigations coming out soon um two i can't say much about um one is in edit right now and another uh, i'm drafting and uh in each each investigation we have located and interviewed more than 100 trafficking victims for each story um so yeah that i can't really say much more than that but i'm excited to um to get these stories over the line and and hopefully get them published and out there soon it's thank absolutely you. fascinating thank you very much for joining me thanks so much frankie the upshot of today's conversation is that communication is crucial on the ground reporting is at the heart of making stories relatable to your audience journalism is driven by people's stories Whilst the vast majority of investigative reporting begins with data, it will be the humanity that inspires people to speak out. If you want to read these investigations or have any information to share, you can visit the ICIJ website or get in touch with Katie on Instagram or Twitter. What did you take from today? Find me on Twitter, Instagram or TikTok at Frankie C. Journo. You can check out all of our episodes on all your usual podcast platforms, SoundCloud, Spotify and Apple Podcasts by searching and subscribing to the journalism.co.uk podcast. That's all we have time for this week. I've been your guest host, Frankie Crew. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.